November is Men's Health Awareness Month. This month, whatever you grow will save a bro. Movember is all about starting conversations, raising awareness, funds, and saving lives. If you're looking to donate, friends of the show Grant O'Gorman or William Hoey are off to a great start and could use our help. Check out the show notes or visit movember.com to search for and donate to their pages today. And now on to the show. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. I got to meet him when he was playing on the OVA Beach Tour. One of the nicest guys in the volleyball community, and I'm sure he's got some stories for us. So he played club for a few, but the main one would be the Gannon Oscar Wolves. So another guy to add to the long history there. Played at Eastview High School. He was an OUA All-Star, a CIS Academic All-Canadian for the Western Mustangs. He's represented Canada on the beach over eight times, and he's won two Norseka medals. And he also represented Canada on the NVL, where he won six medals in 12 events. And out of those 12 events, he finished in the top five 10 times. He was named OCAA Coach of the Year when he was at Durham College, and he's now running the Seoul Beach Volleyball Club. Please welcome to the show, Andrew Hinchy. Andrew, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, no, hey, Josh. Uh, it's been too long. I've been waiting to get on here. I'm glad I got the call. I'm excited, uh, excited to chat with you. Yeah, way too long. I meant to get out to Peterborough, but I mean, with this whole COVID thing, there was a pause there, and I know you got great things going there, but uh, yeah, we got to connect more often, so it's a good excuse that we started a podcast just so we could talk here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> made time, made time. Perfect. So I think the Ontario community would know you, and obviously people who listen to the Pulpit Stock episode would learn that like you made the hike to play club with him. But I'm wondering if we could just take a step back and just establish when did you start playing volleyball? Like, what other sports were you playing growing up before you made this? Like the the one you were gonna you know dedicate your time to when you were at that age to kind of we all have to pick one sport eventually if we're gonna specialize, right? So what were you doing growing up, and when did volleyball become the sport for you? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I'm uh, one of the, like, I'm, I'm a small town boy, uh, so to relate to all the country kids, um, I grew up out in a small town called Tweed, um, and it's funny. So I remember I played a little bit in grade school, but it, what's interesting is even in grade school, our, our coach was actually our custodian. So he would come in early in the morning and do his work and then uh, give us a little bit of coaching. And uh, we ended up having, we, we had a decent little team in grade eight. And uh, I, I think that, that that gave me a real positive start on the game, uh, which then led to high school. And I started playing in high school. And I remember, it must have been my grade nine season uh, when we finished again. We had a little bit of success, but the game, it, I was enjoying it. I was having a lot of fun. And I remember the season being over and just kind of feeling like that just wasn't enough. And that led me to finding a regional tryout. I didn't quite make it, didn't, didn't. Uh, but uh, what they did suggest is that I should find a club and, and, and get started in some club ball. Uh, and that is what led me, so probably grade 10, I started playing. So kind of late, I guess, compared to some of the other kids my age. I started playing at the Ganaraska Wolves. And I know you've had a couple of the guys on the show from the, the Wolves, which I, I, it's no longer there. But, you know, that was a great club for a lot of us small town players um and even even then we were still driving just to get there uh at the top of the 115 so like i said i started in grade school and then spark in high school but that led me to the ganaraska wolves and and from there uh i had a great coach uh, george matsusaki uh who i'm very close with now and um you know i remember one of the first practices where, because I mean, every every 16-year-old guy, what does he want to do? He wants to hit the ball, right? And uh, I remember him pulling me aside and saying, you know, are you, are you serious? Like, do you really want to play this game? And my answer was yes. And he said, well, then we're going to have to teach you how to set. 
so, <laughs> you know, I was really lucky to have a coach there to sort of take a look at the big picture and help me realize that, you know what, you might not be like, I mean, right now you're hitting and you're hitting well at, at juvenile, but if, if you really want to play long-term, then you, you have to consider setting. And, and so it was a good, hard talk, nice and early in my career. Uh, and I think, I, I truly do believe that's actually what led me to be able to play uh, university ball. This might be tough to answer, but I'm wondering, were you one of the last Wolves guys? Because obviously, like, we've heard about Daryl and Dustin Reed on the show, and Brinkman coming through was a big deal, and Sleener and those guys. But I- I'm thinking Wolves didn't last till your 18U year or whatever, like, juvenile or whatever the term would have been at that time, right? Like, obviously, Paul mentioned you switch clubs, but I'm wondering, were you one of the last Wolves clubs to come through on the boys' side, maybe? Yeah, do you know what? Um we might have been the last group, yeah, because I actually I played there because um, we even moved. I, I changed high schools um, from grade 11 to grade 12 and uh, and actually did make the drive to play one more year of Wolves. And, you know, that might have been one of the potential reasons why I did end up switching clubs. Uh, so, yeah, I could have been one of the last Wolves. That's, that's, a good, that's a good point, Josh. And what was it like convincing your parents when you did make the choice in that 18 new year to drive to like the Hamilton area to be to play club? Because I imagine there there was other clubs in between that drive, but it sounded like you guys had a good thing going and it was going to be a pretty stacked team. So w- were you looking at, at the future already and saying, I want to play post-secondary? And did you know what pro volleyball was or what was that conversation to say, you know what, we're going to we're going to invest in this and it's going to be a, a few hours in the car each night every time I have practice? Yeah, I, you know, I, I was I was pretty lucky. Um, so growing up, it was actually just my mom and I. And I remember, um, and one of the reasons we moved to Barrie, uh, she'd gotten a job up that way. And actually in grade 11, I uh, I stayed uh, back in Tweed. And I actually, I was pretty much lived on my own that year, uh, which was a pretty uh, transitional year for me. Um, obviously, that's, you know, again, 17. And, you know, that can go one way or the other. And uh, lucky enough for me, it, it went really well. But I think in that year, I realized that um, I, I must have gone to a couple of university games, probably down at Queens, and, and seeing them play and thinking, you know what, I, I could probably play at this level. And, and, and I think it certainly became a goal of mine. And it was certainly volleyball that probably inspired me really to, to do university and, and to pursue a, a university education. Um, so by the time I'd moved to Barrie, um, I actually switched high school. I was, I, a funny story, I was at uh, Camp Madawaska right before we moved. And I remember, I think it was Mark Ainsworth, great coach. And, uh, and I'd worked with him maybe uh, with some Team Ontario tryouts and stuff. Uh, he probably actually cut me. Um, but uh, he, uh, I remember at Madawaska, he said, oh, I want, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he introduced me to Peter Millsap, uh, who was a great coach up in the Barry area. And uh, so I met uh, Pete, who I hadn't talked to him before. Uh, and he said, oh, he said, I hear you're moving to Barry. And he said, well, you know, you should consider coming to Eastview. It was a quick conversation. You know, we finished Madawaska, moved to Barrie, get up there. And uh, that led me to sort of my first couple days of school, which I was currently going to Central, uh, which is sort of downtown Barrie. Have you, have you had Cam Whelan on the show? Not yet. Not yet. There's oh, a guy who yeah, deserves yeah. a shout out. I think he's a Barrie guy because I think I remember playing against him. But anyways, I was at Central. Um, so any of your Barry listeners will know the difference between the schools. So I started there and then I remember I took the bus across town to meet with, with Peter and we, we kind of looked at things and well, if I took, uh, what was it? I think I had to take Spanish and home ec. 
if I if I took those two courses, then I was able to go to Eastview. Uh, so I was able to. So by the following week, I was signed up for Spanish and home ec, and I was playing for Eastview, and uh, <laughs> and uh, which was good. It was a nice change. It was a a school that was serious about volleyball, uh, and and again that led me to to, to further connections at, at Offsa which then led me to the Mac Club, uh, which was driving down in Hamilton. So I think some of those decisions had kind of happened beforehand. And then the opportunity to play at Mac under uh, the coach's name with Jay Magus. And he actually played, spent a bit of time setting for the national team. So the, the, the coaching lined up perfectly for me as a setter. And uh, so it really, it did make a lot of sense. And by that time, I really had post-secondary in, in, in my vision and, and, and I wanted to make it happen. Uh, and so I was lucky that, yeah, my mom was willing to make the drive or at least lend me the car to make the drive. And, uh, and I, and I can say it was totally worth it. Uh, I, I learned a tremendous amount from Jay and, um, he certainly showed me what it took, uh, to set at the next level. And he certainly, like I, I was really well prepared going into my first year of university. And, and I know that's thanks to him. So it, it was well worth the drive. Now, I am curious because I got to meet you a little bit later in our lives and, and seeing you play beach with the passion and intensity you do. I, I'm wondering as a 17 or 18 year old, if you had the same restriction, because you're a guy who can bring intensity and have a battle, but you don't really cross the line and you're still known as a good guy on the beach. I'm wondering, did you have that same passion and intensity as a 17 and 18 year old? And did you ever feel like you did cross the line? Like, what was it like with that playing style when you were growing up? Yeah, I think <laughs> by the time I was playing on the beach, I think I had a bit more confidence. Uh, so I might not have been quite as outspoken, but I I did always I, like I mean I had that grit to to compete, and and I you know I put in a lot of work and, and I didn't want to give that up. Like I can I I remember uh, you know being a, a rookie at uh, at Western and. Uh, fighting for that starting spot. I think it was, our first match was against York University, and I wasn't starting, and and that wasn't very comfortable. And uh, but I mean, again, your first year, you you understand your role, and you know, I, I was willing to do whatever it took. And uh, we, I think we we went down two, two sets to none, and so I kind of got you know, you get your chance here. That's you know, that that guy on the bench is waiting to get thrown in, and and sure enough, I got thrown in for the third set. And things turned around and I got lucky. The team kind of rallied behind me and we ended up winning that match. And that solidified sort of that, that, that starting position. Uh, but I, well, I mean, I, I knew that afterwards, but uh, at the time I, I knew I was still fighting for it. So I remember going to Ryerson next game, <laughs> next game we're playing against Ryerson against what would be a familiar face down the road. And we're, uh, it must have been one of the first few points of the game. And so we're obviously we're matched up against 610 Snake on the other side. And uh, so I'm not thinking he's going to tip the ball. So I've come in real tight, ready to dig the ball because I'm like, okay, like, I, you know, he, he's not scoring on me. So I've come in real tight, ready to dig. And sure enough, he rips one down the line, hits me right in the face, packs me right in the face. <laughs> And my nose starts bleeding. But again, you know the rule. If you get blood on your jersey or if you're bleeding, you're going to get subbed out. And I remember for probably a set and a half, 
I just kept just kind of <laughs> keep keeping the blood in my nose because I wasn't going to let it get on my jersey and I wasn't going to get subbed off because I knew if I got subbed off, then I was going to lose that starting position. And then sure enough, it kind of, I guess it dried up and I was able to finish the game. And, and lucky, lucky for us, we finished that one three straight and I was able to get out of there with the, with the win. And, and by that time, I, I had solidified that that sort of starting position, which was was pretty important to me. And and so I guess that, that was that was as far as I was willing to go. I you know I, I didn't want to give up that position. So I always had that grit. Uh, but I would say, yeah, that outspoken confidence uh, that that didn't come until a little little bit later in my career. <laughs> nice, nice. So, just to take one jump backwards there. So, you mentioned you're at a high school program that's competing at the officer level. Your club team was very good. So, what was your recruiting process, and and what made you eventually decide that Western was going to be the spot for you? Yeah, um, it, you know what? I, I really do. I, I, I got to say thanks to to Isu because that that was uh, I. My other high school, we were not going to offset, and, and Eastview was, had been a solid school. I mean, Simic had come out of Eastview, um, so it was a school that at Asa coaches would take note of, and, and that was really helpful for me because uh, uh, up until that point, I, I don't think I'd really been noticed. Uh, you know, I got that classic cut from Team O that, you know, you're just not tall enough or just not quite what we're looking for. and um, So I certainly had some of that rejection early in my career, Again, that wasn't the answer I wanted, so I kept going. Um, so from there, I think I had a quick chat with Dave Preston a little bit, uh, looking at going to McMaster. Um, so that went well uh, with going with playing at club uh, with with the I guess originally it was called the Mountain Athletic Club, um, but the Mac Club and, and yeah, and we had a great team that year. Uh, so playing with that club. Uh, we certainly uh, ha- had a few coaches, and that's when I met uh, Jim Sage uh, down at Western. And I, you know, you, you do the, your tours, and you get to meet the the, the varsity teams. And uh, I mean, Matt Mac was great, uh, but when I when I was down at Western with that tour, it, there was something about sort of that that group of guys, that camaraderie, uh, that I picked up on right away. And, uh, and it meant a lot. And, uh, that, I've got to say, you know, that, that, that really helped me make that decision to go to Western and, uh, and, and it worked out very well for me. Uh, uh, so I, I guess you could say it was the right, right, right call. Um, and, and I certainly appreciated my years there. Now me mostly, but I'm, I hopefully our listeners do, cause I always kind of poke the uh, guest to do this. We, we enjoy a good name drop. I'm wondering at Western, was Chisholm there? I'm trying to think of some other guys. You would have been with the Pat Johnson era. Did you kind of lead like Reed Halpenny? I'm just wondering who was on those Western teams. Eric Simon is a little bit younger. Is he the same age as us? Like who would have been on those Western teams you were on? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah so I, when I started and actually and I've got to say so part of that recruiting process, I was playing beach some beach at the time. And it was uh, the, the captain, uh, Pete Sidler, who actually was a fellow Ganaraska Wolf. Uh, who talked to me in the summer and he said, listen, you know, we've got a great team. Um, we need a setter. Uh, you know, I'd love to love to see you wearing purple and, you know, giving. And I remember as a, as a veteran down the road talking to young rookies, that you know, you really want to pick up that, you know, you, you got to sweet talk them a little bit. Say, listen, you know, we, we could really use your help. And I remember him doing a little bit of that. Uh, and then actually playing with Pete. He, he was an incredible, incredible captain, incredible leader with that group and, and certainly uh, somebody that I learned a lot about or a lot about sort of what it takes to, to lead by example and, and lead a, a university team. And so when I came in, we had Adam Dumont, 
trying to think. Alex Jerome was there. He'd recently switched. I think he'd recently switched from Queens. Um, so it, my first year, we, we made a great run. I mean, we went right to the finals, and we had a lot of those. Um, I, I think a lot of those guys had all played Team Ontario, but they, again, they were they were quite a bit older than I was. And then in my second year, Eric Simon was actually my uh, my rookie. I don't know if they do that anymore, but rookie, <laughs> I took care of him. I, I just helped make sure that uh, I kind of took him under my wing a little bit. And uh, what a what a great guy to add to the team. And and again, he he was another. He, he started young. He, he was a first year. Uh, but you know, he, he had that same grit. He was willing, you know, he, I mean, if you come in timid, you're, you're just not going to compete and you're going to find yourself on the bench real quick. You have to come in with that confidence and, and that grit and, uh, you know, uh, sort of that refusal to lose or refusal to back down. And, uh, and Eric had that. So he, he came in as well. And then, yeah, uh, Josh Chisholm, he, Josh would have been there the year. I think he got there one year ahead of me. And then we played four years together. Um, and then Josh and I actually also took things out to the beach. And and he was, uh, I played with a couple guys beforehand. But I, I've got to say that it was Josh and I that really first started taking beach seriously. And, um, but uh, but again, yeah, we were still indoor focused. But the, the summers were, were all about the beach. And what can you tell me about uh, Jim Sage? Because when we had Garrett May on the show, like, it's funny, but it's not meant as a knock that like Garrett mentioned, they didn't even have like practice shirts or, or even proper warm ups where you see these other clubs or other universities, excuse me, and they're all decked out. And, you know, the, the running joke at Western is they do the same three drills every year, but like Jim still gets results and there's not a lot of Ontario coaches who can brag about his CIS or U sports medal, right? Like the, the guy gets it done, even though it's kind of like the bad news bears if you want to tell some funny stories. So what was uh, your era like and what can you say that he's done to kind of make Western competitive every year? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, Jim, Jim and I were really close, and and again, like I said, I, you know, he he kind of looked out after me uh, quite a bit, and and yeah, I know he get he gets those knocks every once in a while, but then as he said, hey, you know what else talks is results, and uh, you, you know, I think something that people don't know about Jim, he he does a, a heck of a job to get the team to come together. And like I said, like that, that, that's what I noticed when I first went there, even as uh, like, as I was being recruited um, was, was the camaraderie between the team, like the guys, the guys get along well and they're able to, you know, work towards those goals. And, and you, if you played any, any kind of uh, elite ball, you know that, you know what, if there's, if that's not in place, those tight matches, the guys won't fight for each other. And, and I think Jim creates, uh, and whether it's intentional or not, we'll assume it's intentional, but he creates an environment where these guys will fight for each other. And, and that wins tight matches. Western, I think, being the school that it is, it attracts some, some interest and some talent on its own. The other strength that you see with Jim is look at some of the assistant coaches he's had. And, and like, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think. Well, uh, Garrett May's dad. He, he was in for a while. Robbie Atkinson was another one we had. Um, some other guys, like the ex-pro players. Like Jesse Mighton's been there. Mighton. I think he had Pedlo help him out and he was there. Maybe Matty Z popped in. Like, you're right. He finds these ex-guys who are maybe doing, like, a master's degree or, or further in their education and gets them involved somehow, right? Yeah. Well, and you know what? And I think that's the key. He does get them involved where he, a lot of other – and I'm uh, you can't assume, but I think a lot of other coaches would have trouble – 
giving up the reins or you, you, you know what I mean? Like a lot of them would be like, nope, it's my way. It's got to be run this way. And they'd be so militant about it that they would miss out on the opportunity that some of these fresh voices have to offer. And again, you, and you know, you've coached at George Brown, you know, by three quarters of the way through the season, they're sick of us. Like oh, as a yeah. head coach, you know, <laughs> they've heard enough of our voice. And so Jim did a good job that he would he would manage those guys and you'd have a fresh voice in. And, and I mean, it's I've got to say it kind of started later on in my like time at Western. But I've got to say, I think I think that's those are a couple of strengths that I think people overlook sometimes. And, you know, he's just a nice guy. He's a great guy. <laughs> so uh, that helps, too. I think when they're doing the coaches voting, <laughs> he doesn't step on any toes that way. So you mentioned you you were in that starting spot early on in your first year. And as you're battling and your team's competitive, like what was driving you? Like, were you looking around the rest of the league going, oh, there's there's so-and-so and he beat me out for the Team O spot. But, you know, I'm going to out-compete him this game and I'm going to get it done because, you know, if people were to meet you in real life, you're not short, but I think you're short compared to volleyball players, right? Like I feel that when I'm around like soccer and lacrosse players, I feel tall. When I'm around volleyball players, I feel really short, right? So with you being an undersized, I use air quotes on that, left-handed setter, what was the feeling like when you were getting results and battling with these guys that maybe had, you know, beaten you out for those Timo spots or other things that you were trying out for in your youth? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you know, that first year at Western was, was uh, really quite a year because I'd come off that year at that Mac club where, again, you, you, there was a we had, we had a ton of talent. And, I mean, we did well, but I, I think we could have done a little bit better looking, looking back on it because, again, all of us, almost all of us ended up being starters on the universities. A few of them were at York, a few of them went to Mac, and I think I was the only one that ended up going over to Western. Um, so, obviously, when we're playing, if I was playing York or Mac, I wanted to take care of those guys. But you know what? Like, it, it, I think a vision that that rookies have uh, that you know that they're almost they have an advantage over over anybody else is it's all brand new. So so you don't have any expectations yet, and so every game was just like, hey, this is great. Look, the people actually want to watch this. You know, club ball. Nobody's watching your games, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez, hey, people want to watch, and uh, you know, you you can take that and say, hey, I'll put on a show for you. Here, watch this. <laughs> And, um, and so, but, but I think you, you, you're kind of naive of, of, I guess the pressures of results, um, and, and you, you don't know all the teams. So you don't know that, oh, Hey, when we're playing this team while well, we were supposed to win. And when we're playing this team all oh, while well, they're supposed to win, they, none of that really existed. Um, so I think it's a real benefit that all rookies can have, um, or especially if you're a starting rookie, right? Uh, and, and so it was just, you know, things were rolling and, uh, even late in, in the season, uh, like some of the other guys who looked at looking at stats are like, Oh, Henshi, like you're, you know, you're, you're leading the country in assists and, uh, you know, you're doing this and then this is going well. And and again, I mentioned Pete Siddler, like honestly, my setting strategy was anytime I was in trouble, I just threw it, threw it to the right side <laughs> and that guy would find a way. And so anytime I was in trouble, I would just throw it back. And, and, and he was such a competitor and, you know, and he was such a good guy because I'm sure they weren't pretty right sides. <laughs> he was probably taking what he could get, but he would, he would find a way to score and we were having a lot of success and, and, and Sure enough, I mean, so I had to make that decision between Mac and, and Western, and we end up running up against them in the, I must have been the, actually, if I step back, it was the quarterfinal, quarterfinal, I think we played Ryerson, but again, like Snake and I hadn't, like I knew him because he was a fellow wolf, but we hadn't played beach together or anything, but I think we beat Ryerson in that quarterfinal. 
And then we had Mac in the semifinal because this was before they did Final Fours. And uh, sure enough, we ended up beating Mac. I don't know if it was five or three straight, but it, uh, it felt pretty good. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went on a on a on a wild battle with with York University. We went the so it was a best two out of three. That's how they used to do it. And um, we must have been there first. We went there first, lost in five, like a fifteen eleven. But we were there. We were close. We came back to Western. And again, I've never seen Alumni Hall like that. Like Alumni Hall was packed. Uh, and again, so as a rookie, this this was cool. This was really a lot of fun for me. And uh, we ended up, we beat them in four. Like we, we were rolling. So then, you know, you, you, you feel like you kind of have the upper hand. You lose in five, beat them in four. You feel like, yeah, we, yeah we're going back to York, but. Uh, but we just beat them in four. We felt pretty good about it. And um, I remember I, I still at one of our starting left sides, uh, Dewey, I think his, I don't know what it was, like his puppy went missing the night before the game. <laughs> and so he was up all night chasing his puppy around London. I, I, I don't know. There's some crazy story. And I remember he he, he wasn't his, his usual self. And, and I think we ended up, we lost in five uh, and I, I, I want to think it was close. Uh, I don't think it was a 15-13, but it was a close match. So hey, we took it right to the edge, or, uh, you know, right, right to the line. But it was a heck of a way to start a university career. And uh, yeah, some real fond memories that, that season. We, we had some good times as well. And as you kind of climbed the ranks, and you mentioned you had great leaders there when you were a rookie, can you just give me an example of what an action would be when you say like somebody leads by example? Because I think coaches love that. And, you know, when you're giving credit to an athlete, oh, that Andrew Hinchy, he just leads by example. But, you know, other than, you know, showing up on time and being ready to go at the start of practice, what are some little things that you saw others doing that you added to your game when you were in that leadership role at Western? Yeah. That, hey, Josh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, and again, because I, I think of like, as soon as I think of like a captain that I had, I, that I instantly think to Pete and a, any of those guys that played Western during those years would, uh, you know, you know, they thought they put him on that same pedestal and actually he's still in London now. Um, but he, what would he do? You know, he, he had that intensity that like he, he was a guy who, and, and you know, as coaches, we preach this all the time that, you know, you, you got to practice how you want to play. And he was the guy that in practice, you know, if, if the guys weren't playing quite as well as they should be or they weren't given their best effort, he would let them know. It, 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 but it, it was in a respectful manner that, hey, come on, you got to get that. Like, it, it, And it was it was never disrespectful. It was never insulting. But he and he, you would never have to question or ever worry that he wasn't giving 110 percent. And, and I think that's the only way that a captain or a leader can call out a teammate. You can only even think about calling out a teammate if you're given 110 nonstop. Like you, you can't you can't call out a teammate and then go in and, and let the same thing happen to you. And, and so I think Pete, Pete was a guy that, you know, he, he was in the gym. He at practice. It was 110. Um, and, and so I'm watching this guy and then I'm watching him also in practice. If, if it's someone else wasn't towing the line, he would remind them <laughs> respectfully, always respectfully. And I think the way that he did that is that the, the team had so much respect for him that when, when he was calling you out, you're like, you know what? You're right. You're right. <laughs> like no, no, nobody ever, it was never, <laughs> Oh no, Pete's, Pete's just going off. It was no, you, you're right, Pete. <laughs> 
I need to pick it up. And, and it was perfect. That's exactly, I think, as, like you said, as, as a coach, I see it now, that's the leader you want. Uh, it shouldn't be the coach's job. You, you want, you want to see the players push each other and, and, and set that standard of excellence. Awesome. Glad I asked that. That's an awesome answer. Thanks, man. So you mentioned you and Chisholm were, were doing the beach thing, but you were still committed to an indoor guy. So when you saw yourself playing volleyball beyond university, like were you thinking indoor pro or trying out for Team Canada on the indoor side? Or or when did this beach thing become a reality that that was going to be your shot to play at like a, we'll call university an elite level, to play at like the super elite level and represent Canada eventually? Yeah, you know what? I, I was pretty set with setting. I, I love setting. You know, it was like the... You're like the quarterback. Like you get to, and then as as your as your hitters get better, and as as the game gets a little bit more advanced, it's such a chess match. And uh, I was really really enjoying it. Um, and and certainly had planned on you know what yeah I do, I do want to play this after university. I, I want to go play overseas. Um, and, and so I was actually starting to kind of get things in place and thinking about how how I was going to make that happen. Um, and then uh, you know what as I said you know I had. I can think of one particular season where Josh and I, we must have just connected well. I think I was working working in Oshawa at the time. So I would, <laughs> I remember, geez, I was driving heavy equipment. So I would try to actually start my shift early. So I'd get up at like 4.30. I'd work my shift and then drive down to the beach and do some training with Josh. And actually one of the coaches we have, I don't know if, he, if he's still working with you over at Team Canada, but uh, Ish, Ish Joseph. Ish is, uh, he's been around when I first started. He hasn't been around recently. I think he's busy doing some other stuff, but yeah, he, he's definitely a personality in our sport. Yeah. Well, and, and I've got to say, and so I think Josh was doing a lot of like physical training and some volleyball training with Ish. And, uh, so I kind of hopped in on, on, on those. And so that summer though, like Ish, Ish really, I mean, oh my gosh, anytime I've worked with Ish, I have always been in the best shape <laughs> by, by nationals. Like that guy, when, he, when he's running a practice, like you're, you're working. Um, but the other thing that Ish kind of got with Josh and I is, I, if I remember correctly, he was one of the guys, he got us an in training with, with, with Child and Heath. They, I think they had, they, they had their own, I'm sure they were doing their own session at the time but somehow we got in on like a king's game like i remember like it was like king of the court and it's just funny how how beach volleyball has changed like um like now these kids it's just training's a little bit different so this this session was going on and i'm sure ish must have said something like hey can you you know can you let these young guys come in and play a bit and uh sure enough we got in and you know you get a couple points and you're like oh man geez we just got a point <laughs> like and you're playing against these guys that you know you I, like gosh i remember that was one of the things that how i fell in love with beach was uh, I'd moved to Barry and I think nationals were being held at Wasaga beach. And I remember walking down the boardwalk and, and I'd never played that kind of tournament and seeing all the teams and everybody playing. I was like, wow, this looks awesome. And then going into uh, center court and watching uh, child and he's win. I don't know what their 15th national championship or something. <laughs> and, uh, and just watching that and being like, Oh, I want to do that. That that is something I want to do. So then here I am a couple of years later, and uh, we're, we're training with them. Um, and as I said, yeah, training with them. Put that in quotes. Uh, we got we got a few points. We held our own. Uh, and, and it was that same kind of situation where, like, hey, if we come in here and we don't play well and we don't get a couple points, do you think they're inviting us back? Not a chance. 
Um, so it was kind of that again, right? You got to You got to practice how you want to perform. And so this was just a training session, but it, it was it was vital to our success. And so it was a way for us to sort of like and, and then when we like I said, yeah, we, like we did OK. And so I think when we came out of that session, it was a game changer for our season thinking, hey, you know, what? We, we can play with some of the big dogs. And um, so we I'm not sure how provincials went. Provincials must have been OK. We, we must have done well enough. And then nationals were in Toronto. And I remember this game uh, very clearly because we were playing and I didn't know him at the time. Got to know him a little bit later, but it was Maverick Hatch. And I can't remember. There was a it was a shorter lefty from BC. I can't remember what the guy's name was. But anyways, we were playing them in the quarterfinals, and I'm sure we weren't really pegged to win that one. And things were not going well. It must have been first set. And one thing, and Josh knows this too, and it's one of the things that I love about him is, uh, you know, he like Pete Siddler. If you're not playing well, Josh will let you know. And, uh, but I, I, I liked playing with guys like that. I know some people don't like some people they'll, they'll go into like, again, well, you, you know how it is as a coach, it, it, different athletes react differently to, uh, criticism. And, and I learned that day that like Josh, Josh called me out. I was not playing well and he was right. And I was playing terrible and, and he really let me know about it. But he, I, I mean, he like, I think the whole beach heard about <laughs> it and, uh, and that pissed me off. I was pissed. I remember thinking going into that next game or going coming out of that timeout, I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I don't ever want to play with you again. I don't care. I don't care what happens in this game. I was so mad, so mad. I'm like, you don't talk to me like that in front of all these people. I was, I was like embarrassed, mad, hurt. And uh, we go in and then sure enough, you know, you go, you go back into a game with that. I don't care kind of attitude, but like with a little bit of focus and a little bit of anger and uh, sure enough, the game starts to turn around. And uh, we, we, we somehow, I don't know how we did it, but we came back, we win the second set, and we take that momentum, we win the third set. So now we're, at, we're sitting at nationals, at a nationals that we probably should have finished fifth, and we've just won our quarterfinal. And it's so funny, because after the game, we're like, hey man, that was awesome, but this seems to be working, so let's just stay pissed off at each other, because this is working. <laughs> This is working. And it was one of the most bizarre tournaments we ever played. And sure enough, we ended up playing Quebec in the semifinal. And uh, again, we're, we're having a good game, close match. Uh, and I was lucky enough, I ripped one and it ended up just packing the guy in the face. And Josh, again, just as loud as he had ripped me a new one for not playing well in the quarters, he let the whole beach know that I had just packed a guy in the face in the semifinals and he goes off. And, uh, and again, yeah, yeah, maybe not. Well, and again, I got to say still pretty respectfully, uh, but it was pretty loud. Again, he's not a quiet guy. And, uh, and again, we, you know, a big event, we get fired up and we end up winning the semifinal and we came up in the finals. And again, this was a tournament. We, we, we had no business being in the finals and it was, oh, what was his name? A gotch. And he was playing with another big guy. I can't think of the name, but gotch. I'm positive was a, he was actually the defender, I think, of the of the pair, and we, we had a tight final. But again, they they had more experience and they, they were a pretty good team. Uh, it was close, but uh, but I know they came out with the with the gold there, and we ended up with the silver. But uh, we were pretty proud about that silver. And I've got to say, it was that season and that event that again, it's it was that realization of like, hmm, 
you know what? We we can play with some of the big guys, and and that that's when I think really Beach started to take over a little bit, and I and, and that just the experience, but then also that that confidence builder uh, that you know what? Hey, this is starting to feel a little bit more at home for me. Now I, I have to follow up. Did you? I'm, I'm trying to remember my timeline here. Did you ever play with Chisholm again, or is that when you switched to Snake or Fugard or some other guys you play with? Did you go back with Josh the next summer? Do you know what? Yeah. So we had we had that success, and we that would we we went and played. We played one more. We actually played our my first ever pro event. We we drove down to Chicago and played a pro event in Chicago, which we actually we won, and and we had some great success. However, you know what? The next spring, he was ready for some Norseka. And you know what? I think he had graduated. So I was still at Western doing my fifth year, and he had graduated. So he was ready to travel. So he ended up partnering up with Reed Hall, and, and they did really well. Um, and that was left me like, okay, I got to find somebody. Um, and I flipped through a few partners that summer and then uh, ended up picking up Fugard. Uh, you're right. Yeah, that, he was my next partner that summer, and then I remember Josh stuck and played with like the U24 nationals, and I think I don't know if Fugard was too old, so we ended up playing men's nationals, and uh, again had, had, a, had a good turnout. I think we had a top ten finish, which again just can kind of continued that it, it was just enough to keep me feeling that you know what this like I, I can do this. Yeah, I want to pull on something before I forget. This wasn't part of like the structure we talked about before the show. But when you mentioned when you get the call to be somebody's training partner, like you said, like you're there to make them better. And it's not fantasy camp. Like you need to win some drills. You need to battle. You need to push them uh, a little bit later in life. Like whoever Mark Heese was coaching or whether it was Redman and when he was uh, being coached by John Child, like you and Snake would get the call to be the training partners. And I remember you were at Beach Blast training during the winter once. And uh, friend of the show, Dana Cook, saw you guys and she messaged me right away. She's like, how are these two guys not on the national team right now? So how did that feel that you guys were like the the call if you needed a, a pair to train with and you wanted to battle, but you were kind of like the the best team not on the national team, if that's fair to say, when you and Snake were kind of rolling there in the uh, 2010s and in that era there, right? Yeah, you know what? I Yeah, yeah. The national team and I, we, we had an interesting relationship. We... Uh, <laughs> Because, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, like that big, big season for Josh and I, uh, w- one of the things that was motivating us was Quest for Gold. Um, and, and I'm not sure how the structure is now, but at that time, they had a, they had a pretty specific point system, the way it worked. And, we, you know, we, we'd done our research and, and we checked off all the boxes. And so we, we sort of felt that, you know, that some of that w- might be headed our way. And uh, we kind of got snubbed a little bit. And, and that went away from us. And then um, we, same with the invites. We didn't um, – there, there's a couple other guys that got some invites to the training camps, and uh, we didn't get it. And so – and again, and I remember asking some questions, and a lot of it kind of came back to height. Um, and there was, I mean, different coaching staff at the time. So with the national team, the, those first few years and, – and again, as you mentioned, even when I was with Snake – for me, it came down to uh, that I was just a little bit too short. And that, 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 that conversation came up a few times. And I remember for me, that one just never sat, that, that just never sat right. And, and it actually, I've got to be honest, it only, it only fired me up a little bit more and uh, motivated me more and more uh, to, so when we had that opportunity to train with those guys, 
that uh, I was like, you know what? Like, we're, we're going to win this. <laughs> like, say, listen, like, we're not, we're, we're not just going to train with these guys. We're going to, we're going to beat these guys. And, uh, and, and sure enough, it started to happen. And, 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 you know, we started to have some, some, some more success and, and, and that was fun. You know, we, we really appreciated that, uh, but I mean, we, we were still putting in our work. Um, but I think what was unique about Snake and I is that we both we we always had a full time job, and um, so so we would work the full time job, and then we would show up to practice. And so while the other guys were basically in two practices, we were doing it in like one or you know some days we couldn't make it down, and um, so we weren't getting the same number of reps. But we did a good job keeping our intensity high. So the reps that we did get, we appreciated and we utilized. And, and you know, that, that was a real good mindset and a real good skill to adapt. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, in that area, you're right. Uh, Leonard was the head coach and he kind of had this, this physical profile that he wanted to follow. And if he, we had Alex O'Neill on the show and he mentioned that, like, he was labeled too small even before tryouts and stuff, right? And people think that... Grant's small, but Grant's actually like 6'2 and jacked, right? And that's like a smaller side guy in the Leonard era, right? But what was interesting about the Leonard era was he wanted the athletes to compete so much. So they would they would train with the national team, but they would play on the OVA circuit if they weren't traveling internationally. And that's where we saw you kind of give some beat down to some guys where we had the running joke one year, me and Snake, that you guys were giant killers because you were the, the team on paper that's just like, oh, these guys have jobs. But you're, you're winning these OVA events. You're doing well at nationals. Like... How did that feel? Like, did you feel like, man, if I take a run at this, I can really be a next level guy? Or were you happy? You know, it was an earlier point you said, like, you didn't really have goals of going to university and then you end up being a teacher, right? Because Western must have switched you on and, and given you a career choice. So did you always know that, like, maybe beach volleyball is not a proper living for you and you wanted to focus on your family and your career? Or or was there ever a part of you that's like, man, I want to represent Canada and I should really take a run at this? Yeah, you know what? That's that's an awesome question. Um, and yeah, like, uh yeah, it didn't even. I, I guess we we yeah, Snake and I did kind of almost stumble upon it. You, you're right in 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 that way. I mean, we uh, like we started. You know, I think one of our primary goals was we started. We, we were driving down to Michigan. Oh my gosh, actually, I remember. Geez, the first the first tournament Snake and I ever played together. Uh, I was like, all right, listen, bud. Like, here's because he played. He played with like who was it? Raj, Roger Marslake. <laughs> but I don't know anybody who played during that time. It was hilarious when you played them. Because all Snake did was two balls, so you'd serve Raj, and then Snake would find a way, and then and they friggin' they win, <laughs> they beat teams with with Raj just passing it up in the air, and Snake just two balling the crap out of it. And so I remember being like, man, this guy's got some skills, but I'm like, oh, also I'm like, that's embarrassing. Like I'm not gonna just two ball him up every time. Like I like dude, you're gonna set me, and I, I'm gonna have to learn how to side out. Like we're gonna figure this out. And I remember we, we drove down to Michigan. We get there. I don't know what time we got in because again we were working all day and then we go down and uh, I don't know, must have got into our hotel like twelve or something and sure enough so you know you unpack your stuff get you ready for the next morning and Snake turns to me he's like dude I forgot my shorts <laughs> so we're down there I don't know how we drove like I don't know it was like a six hour drive we get down there we're ready you know and I'm like oh. all right so sure enough it's like twelve thirty now we're going into the twenty four hour Walmart. And getting Snakey some, uh, some, I don't know, some ridiculous looking beach shorts. So the guy had some shorts to play with the next day. And uh, and I, again, we had a great tournament. And, 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 and it, yeah, things went well. I remember, I remember in the semifinals, and although we didn't know how to pace ourselves at all. Because, again, that new partnership, you're, all, you're pretty fired up. 
And I remember the guy literally saying, like, I don't know who to serve to. Which one of you guys is going to bounce it harder? And and that's <laughs> literally what all we were trying to do. I think you're just trying to show off for your partner because you're like, oh, yeah, here, look, I can do this and I can do this. And I think we wore ourselves out. So by the time we were in the finals, <laughs> we were dead tired because we hadn't conserved at all. And and so we, we you know, lost in the finals and, and long drive home. And But, uh, you know, we realized, hey, we, we had some success today and we, we could really make this happen. So we came home. We started training a little bit more. And uh, I think it was that year at Nationals where we, we had some success. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, you know what? It was the year when Redmond and Van Heusen had finished top 10 in the world or top 10, maybe top nine. Yeah, I think they took champs. a ninth at World Champs that year. Yeah, you're right. They, they had had a big year. And oh my gosh, the Nationals that year, that, that's when it was in August. And if you remember, like, remember the weather would be crazy. Like we'd always get hit. You knew one day it was going to rain and, and be windy and, and ridiculous. And, and, and sure enough, that was the Saturday. The Saturday was, it was the weather was terrible. Like you, you felt like you had to underhand serve just to get it over. <laughs> and, and uh, Snake, will he, I would say this to him, but him and I, in the wind, it, it wasn't good. It was not pretty. It would have been actually funny probably to take those matches. The Sunday, we have to play. We end up with the draw. We have to play uh, Red and, and Van Hughes. And, and again, they've come off this big win. They're like uh, the big talk of the beach. And uh, But <laughs> the weather has changed. And um, it's nice weather. And we, again, first set, and we're, we're playing with them. And, and this was a team. Again, yeah, I looked up to Red. He was a Barry guy. And I trained with him a little bit. Uh, but, you know, he'd been on world tour, so I hadn't seen him in a while. And so they were certainly – uh, a team that we looked up to, uh, and uh, but we were playing with them. We were kind of sticking with them in the first set. Uh, second set, I think Snake had a nice serve and run, and we ended up beating them. We beat them in the second set, and by this time, a few people had kind of come over to watch. I remember, uh, like, uh, my guy's uh, cousin, Pernod, they they come over, and they brought a few of the kids I was coaching at the time. And, you know, that's a feeling in itself right there. So, you, you, like, when kids you are coaching come and watch your game, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Pete Siller, like you, you have that when they're watching you, you, you have to, you have to do what you've been asking them to do all summer. You know what I mean? And, uh, so they showed up and, and again, things just went our way and we ended up beating them 15, 13. And that was another one of those aha moments of like, holy geez, man, we just beat the best team on the beach. The good things are going to happen. Um, and, and so that, that was a real positive for us. And uh, and to be completely honest, and you mentioned the name, I I, I got kind of snubbed again that year. So we had the huge win at nationals, and uh, again I was kind of told I was too short. Um, and and at that point, you know what? I'd gotten the bug, and I was like, you know what? I want to do this. And I'd been told no. That's twice now where I felt like you know I kind of deserve at least a look. And I've been told no, and that again it kind of kind of ticked me off a little bit, and. And uh, that was my last year of university and we're going into my last year of university. So uh, I ended up making the decision to go to Australia. And so while everyone was over here shoveling snow, I was able to get a whole extra season training in Australia. Um, and but again, as you mentioned, balancing that work, uh, that work play uh, sort of load in that, like I was, I was gaining teaching experience while I was there. But the nice thing about Australia is you teach it, they, they run uh, like four semesters. So I would teach for a few months 
and then go off and train. And, uh, and I can say, you know, one of the best months of my life was I was living in, I was living with another beach guy, Jake Magalin, who was a Canadian living in Australia and uh, kind of let me stay on his couch. I'd rented a car, stayed on his couch and I would get up. Uh, I would train with one men's club uh, in Brisbane uh, from five o'clock in the morning until seven in the morning, the sand dogs. And then I would get my car, I'd probably go home, have a nap. And then I drive down to surfers paradise, spend a bit of time on the beach. And then I train with another club from five to seven at night, come home, go to bed and, uh, and get up and do it all over again. And that was probably the first time in my life where I was able to train full time. And I, I did it for, you know, uh, almost a month and, uh, had some success in Australia. And then when I came home, um, that brought me, <laughs> yeah, when I came home, I, I was offered three jobs, basically. Uh, I, that's when I got my, my head coaching job at Durham. I was offered a teaching job in Peterborough and, uh, a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, Josh Binstock called me and asked me to play a tournament with him. <laughs> I remember that that was your first international. You guys, you meddled at that, right? That was in Arsica? Yeah, uh, it was, and again, and as I said, I, I kind of gotten the snub from the national team a couple of years, and so to come home, but again, I came home, I hadn't started working yet, so I had some time to train full-time, and uh, it must the timing must have just worked out for Josh, and obviously, I mean, Josh, Josh asked you to play a tournament, uh, the answer is yes, so, because we'd done some training, and we were training with, I think it was Lels and Math at the time, I think they were playing together. And again, we were having some success in, in the training sessions. And Josh said, hey, like, you know, I got a Norseca coming up. Do you want to come to Mexico? And I said, yeah, of course. And, you know, and, and, and at that time, you know, it's it's funny you see like some of the old skateboard movies. But uh, this this reminded me of like when when you've made it is when you're going into Canuck stuff and uh, you're getting the overkill shorts with your name on the back. And so I remember after practice, Josh and I, he's like, come on, we're, we're going down to connect. Let's get our gear for Mexico. And, uh, you know, you get that first pair of overkill shorts with uh, with your name on the back, Hinchy on the back. It looked great. <laughs> and uh, I was pretty excited to go down and have the opportunity uh, to, I mean, A, play with Josh because I just thought the world of him. And uh, B, finally get to represent Canada. Uh, I, was, I was pretty excited, pretty pumped. Now, Norseka's, you know, they're they're a different animal sometimes some of them are like first class and very professional and some of them are just lower than an ova tournament like they're just a gong show right so with you playing in your first professional event was that it was it what you thought it was going to be or was there anything that was like over the top or was it kind of disillusioned when you finally got there uh, okay so yeah so first of all trying to figure out like we, the tournament was in manzanillo mexico and trying to figure out how to get there was ridiculous like okay i kind of figured out my flight but then i'm trying okay now how do i get to the the venue and from what i can see uh, online and again this is <laughs> what was available all i could find was a bus that was going to take like six or eight hours to get there and i remember seeing on the ticket that this was going to be a bus that chickens and other livestock were allowed on <laughs> like I remember that it was, it was written out and I like I remember being like where am I going like what, what is going on but I was like you know what again I'm like whatever because like, the guys again I, I don't know if I had an interview or if I had to work but I couldn't fly down with the with the other guys 
Um, so I was kind of messaging them and being like, you know, are you taking the, the chicken bus or how, how are you getting there? And, and Josh, is, Josh, again, I think kind of, he's like, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out when we get there, like whatever. And so they were getting there before I was. Um, but I booked, I was like, well, I, I guess I'm taking the chicken bus. So I booked my flight and, and, uh, and fly over there. And again, you know, it, it was pretty cool to that, that feeling again, you know, you're traveling, you're going to go represent your country. Um, and, and I got there and I'm, I'm prepared to get on my chicken bus and, and, and get down to the venue. And, uh, sure enough, the boys are there. They've got a big sign that says Hinchy. Uh, and so the three of them had waited, they, they waited, you know, I don't know how many hours, uh, cause Laos had rented a car. And uh, we were, we were going to drive down into, instead of taking the chicken bus. And, uh, and I mean, what a, it was a huge sigh of relief for me that I wasn't going to have to take that bus. Um, but also it demonstrated to me that, you know, when the teams are out on tour, that we might be competing on the court. But off the court, we're going to take care of each other. And, and, I, and I just learned a lot about that sort of mutual respect. And it was, you know, it, 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 A, it was helping me out tremendously. And, and B, it was a real eye-opener and, and learning the ropes and learning the ropes from, uh, you know, a, a classy group. Now, there, there is one more event I want to ask you about before we jump ahead to some coaching here because I'm just looking at the clock. But you and uh, Ryan Vandenberg Snake would have played in that Quebec event. And I think you would have had to play in a country quota. So what was it like going through that experience where you, you played with Binner at the Norseca and then the next year you're trying to get into an FIB Open and even though it was in Canada and we had to go through the country quota, like that was an event that like Rogers and Dalhauser won and they beat Lucetta in the final. Like there was a lot of good teams there and you actually played a really good team from France in the qualifier. But what was the emotion around that with you guys kind of being like this this top team, but you were still outsiders from the national team, you know, winning a, a country quota match, winning a qualifier match, and then playing this this good team from France. Yeah, you know what? That, that was exciting because, um, again, with Josh, I'd had some success, and we made our, our way right into the final, which, again, just gave sort of gave me that reassurance that, you know what, yeah, you belong here and, and, and you can compete with the best. And then to bring that back to, you know, my, the home team working with Snake and, and some of the goals that we had. And then that opportunity in Quebec came up. And so uh, getting in there and, you know, you get your draw for the country quota. And I think game one, I think we had Pedlo and it must have been Pedlo and O'Gorman, I guess. Uh, Nuzbaum, yeah, I have it in front or of me. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and again, close match. And I remember, I think Brenda was there coaching them. And <laughs> again, yeah, uh, we obviously didn't have a coach, but, or really even a game plan to be completely honest. <laughs> uh, and, uh, we, we again, had some success in that first one. Then we, we, we pulled off that match. And then the next one, I think we were playing cam. And, and again, a lot of these guys we, we played before. And, and, and as you mentioned, like we, we, we'd beaten them on the, on the OVA tour. Um, so we weren't, uh, it was, I guess it was kind of nice to see a familiar face in an unfamiliar environment. Uh, cause that, that was our, our, our first FIVB and it was nice to get in there and have that opportunity. Uh, and then, yeah, then match up against the Cess brothers, which uh, you're in, you're in Quebec. So I think, I think more of the Canadians were cheering for France at the time. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what, I, I've got to admit that match was, was probably one of my toughest matches. Yeah. I don't think I played my best. I, I really going back and watching the match. I was like, Oh, no, I didn't, didn't really play my best. And, and I'll be honest, yeah, I, I felt I almost felt like I'd let Snake down a bit in that one. 
and uh, and it motivated me to to work a little bit harder so that we would have have some some more success in the future. Uh, and I think that led us to nationals, where, as you said, yeah, yeah the giant killers, I guess. Um, where, yeah, we, I mean, we beat Mav and, and Lyles and then we beat, uh, oh, we had Reader and Kane. Uh, we ended up beating them as well. And, um, so again, these teams that, you, you know, you're watching, you're watching these guys play on the FIVB and seeing, Hey, if they can do it and we can have some success against them, it, it makes you really believe that, Hey, you know, we, we get a shot at this. We can, we can make this happen. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to hear what you accomplish as a player. I do want to pick your brain on a couple coaching things because I think uh, you've done some amazing things, not only in the Peterborough area, but anybody you've ever worked uh, with, just your passion comes through and kind of the role model you are. So what was your first coaching break? Were you a BVA guy with Cousins and Furneaux or when did you really get into coaching and realize how much, one, you enjoyed it and two, that you could be pretty darn good at it? Yeah, you know, um, Coaching started, I was at Western, uh, and uh, we, we actually, it was Dan and I, Dan Miller was a, one of the middles on the team, and we started a JV program, who actually, is, it's funny, because I think I think Patrick Johnson says he started the JV program, but he actually played on the first JV program. <laughs> Let and, him know. I'll tell him <laughs> that, too. And because, uh, and, and actually, that was a wicked team. I think we called ourselves the Ponies. So I literally... Uh, it was like a, a couple of weeks before provincials. And, and uh, at that time there was like a U 21 club provincials. And I was like, I was like, to be honest, Sage wasn't going to do the paperwork. So I had to do all the paperwork and learn how to <laughs> register a club and create a club. And we'd been training, like training them. Like we, we were running the practices so that they had the opportunity to train. And, and then actually they ended up doing quite well. I think they won a medal that year, um, which was awesome. But I certainly, I caught the bug there. Like I remember working in practice, the player was Nadan, Nadan. He was a middle. And I remember seeing him in practice and seeing just one small little technical tweak with his with his footwork and then and, and, and talking about pressing a block. And obviously middle wasn't my position, but it was something that I saw. I gave him the feedback. He went out, he did it, and sure enough, he gets a block. And and as a coach, when you have that impact on the athlete and the game when you're not actually on the court. <laughs> that that's a pretty cool feeling and again and he just looked at me and and totally gave me the credit like just gave you that look that hey thank you um you know with that little bit of advice you just gave me i just became a better player and, and i still to this day i still remember that moment and and that that really hooked me and uh and i mean it helped lead me to my my profession now which is teaching which is very similar um so from from coaching there i did some coaching while i was in australia and and yeah while i was in london I like to think of uh, Cousin Furneaux as kind of the, the pioneers of, of beach coaches. Um, and they're such a cool combo because you have, you know, Furneaux who really has the big picture and, you know, he can see down the road two or three years and he can sees the numbers and can understand how to grow a club and how to grow a program. And then you have Cuz who's just like the heart and soul of beach. You know what I mean? Like if you've talked to him, you know Cuz. And, you know, like he he was someone who taught me, you know, the I, I guess like the, the not the style but like the really I guess the, the soul of, of beach like you know what what it's all about and 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 you know even I remember a conversation with Marquise and and he was kind of nervous about clubs coming out and all these coaches coming to the beach because you know he always said that yeah, indoor is always so technical and, and and beach was your opportunity to sort of get away from that and to to just play and to get creative and try new things 
Um, and then you bring those 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 new skills back to your indoor team. Um, and, and that was a, a conversation that had a big impact with me. And so working with those two, I learned a lot about the beach and like how to manage a club, but then also how to how to coach it, but how to coach it sort of like holistically or, or wholeheartedly and, and, and see the big picture and, and to understand that, you know, sometimes it's not always about medals. And sometimes it's about growing the game and growing, you know, good people like like teaching. Again, Marquise talked to me a lot about this and, and taught me a lot about this while he was coaching me that, you know, the, what we practice on the court is who we are. I remember I was going through a defensive practice with Heath and again, someone was shooting line and I kept letting the line ball drop, you know, and, and you see players do this, that, you know, they take that first step. And then that line ball drops and it drives the blockers insane. But Mark, I remember pulling me aside. He said, you know, well, first he's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, I'm probably, I'm not going to get that. And, and and he's like, yeah, he's like, but that that's not what it's about. He's like, when, every time you step and you don't go for that ball, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, and you know, he, he, they start asking these questions and start thinking and analyzing. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm giving up. And he's like, well, is, is that a habit that you want to practice? And I'm like, and you know me now. I, no, no. I'm like, that is not a habit I want to practice. He's like, so then don't do it. He's like, this is an opportunity for you to ingrain a character uh, or a character trait within yourself. This is, a, this is an opportunity for you to prove that you don't give up on anything. And so here we are talking about digging a line shot and, and I'm learning more about myself and, and, and learning that, yeah, that these skills, what we learn on the court and what we teach on the court, these skills are, are the same skills that we need off the court and the same skills that we want to carry ourselves with. And so anyway, so that, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but you know, those were the sort, sort of the, the, the keys and the pillars that, that have led to the philosophy that I have today. Um, and, and it's thanks to those guys. I, you know, I, 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 I was always willing to ask questions uh, and, and that helped me tremendously as, as a coach and as a player. Um, and, and I think uh, something that we are so lucky to have in our volleyball community is just a group of great people who are generally willing to share. Um, so for the young athletes and young coaches, I would really encourage you to reach out to those that you really look up to and to ask some questions and, uh, you know, say, hey, can I, you know, can I buy you coffee? Can I buy you lunch? Let's get out and chat. Um, cause the other thing is, is you'll learn is, is people love to talk about themselves too. Um, so, uh, that, that would be some advice that I would also give to some of the younger coaches and athletes who are coming up through the ranks right now. Yeah. It's amazing to hear your influences because I, I would put you right up there with uh, guys like cousins or, or Marquise and the way the passion comes through when you're coaching and this, this holistic view you talked about. So just, to, to give our listeners a hint of what you do at uh, soul beach volleyball, what are some some leadership or character development stuff that you like to instill in your athletes? Because I, I got to shout at you at one of your indoor clinics, and I mean, you're you're right. It's not just all about technical tactical. Like you you train the whole thing. So, what are just some pillars that are really important to you that you make sure that you instill in the athletes you get a chance to work with? Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, like Soul Beach has been an incredible opportunity for me 
Uh, it was something that started out a number of years ago now, but it was just six kids in my class who, who they asked me, they said, Mr. Inchi, and I think I think that was when I was I, I was playing on tour at the time, and and so they they'd hear like I I tell them about it again because I like it was crazy. You'd, you'd fly out Friday night and play your event, and I was back Monday morning as Mr. Hinchy, which you know, and I wouldn't change it for the world. It was a, it was so cool to be able to do both, and uh, I'd come back and they, then they you know Monday morning I think they learned more about what I had done at beach volleyball than math or English. Um, but those stories certainly, uh, I, I think inspired them. And so I had a group, like it was six guys, uh, that I started soul with and, and we did it in a, it must've been a pretty intense day camp for those guys. Cause we ran right nine till three and out in the beating sun. And, uh, and actually a lot of them became quite, a lot of them were playing varsity now, which is cool to see. Um, but that's where it started. And then the next year, you know, the numbers like doubled or, or even tripled and we just kept having more and more people come out. And, and now we've got over 300 athletes playing. Um, and, and again, it's, it's thanks to, yeah, like I had the, the city, first of all, they, they were fantastic because I've talked to a lot of other clubs that don't get that same support from, from their cities. Um, so we built a number of courts. We have six courts total. Um, and, and what I'm seeing now, what I really saw this summer, I mean, this summer was such a, a unique summer for everyone and a challenging summer, but also I, I've got to say an opportunity for us um, to, you know, really look at what we're doing and what we're teaching, um, and, and, and thinking about that. Um, but it offered a, an opportunity for me. I did a lot of courses teaching our coaches and, and realizing how many of them had all come through the program. And, and, you know, one of, one of my coaches, when I asked him, I said, you know, I know you're busy this summer, but I'd love for you to come out and work with me and coach. And, you know, his answer was, you know, I remember how much soul, you know, did for me and meant for me. And I'd absolutely love to to come back and and help out. And and so now I have a club and a program that is driven by athletes who have that mindset. Um, and that for me is, is irreplaceable. Um, because now not only do I have, uh, people with, with, uh, who are great role models for the kids coming in. Um, but they, they've already, they've already been through the program and they, they, they share that same view that I have, um, realizing that, yeah, hey, we're going to teach them skills, but you know what, we're, we're also going to teach these guys to be great people and we're going to teach them to be respectful and, um, you know, and, and to set goals, set big goals. And go after them. And, and how do you do that? And, and to, to, you know, help them fill in those gaps. Um, because we also, you know, re, we got to be realistic. We get a lot of multi-sport athletes as well. Um, so if we can help them on their journey, then that's great too. And if they've done that through beach volleyball, then that's fantastic. Yeah, this is awesome because I think there there was an era in sport that like, oh, you were naturally this or you're naturally that. Like it wasn't looked at that, you know, confidence is a skill or or like you talked about, like chasing a line shot can be a reflection of who you are as a person. Right. So it's it's just cool to hear you talk about your influences and stuff that you can instill in athletes and and just seeing what you got there, because you're right, you're dealing with hockey players or basketball players, baseball players and volleyball might be the thing they do for fun with their buddy. Right. But you, you've kind of turned it into an opportunity where they can, they can learn skills, but the soft skills they come away with, I think is really what makes soul stand out in my mind is something you guys do at a really high level. Yeah. And, and, and it makes a difference. And, and then, and then, then, then to be honest, then now, and with the time that we put in, we we're also seeing the other side of it where when you have, um, like it's incredible to see how young athletes are starting now and when they start at that age and they're, they're learning the skills but also learning how to sort of manage themselves um, now we're seeing a lot of success in the athletes you know signing D1 scholarships and 
Um, and they were some of the first ones that reached out to me this summer, like, oh, coach, <laughs> can, can you help me? All, all my teammates are training down in the States and I, I, have, I have nothing right now. And it, I'll be honest, that was one of the things that kind of pulled me out, out out of the woodwork to, to you know, hey, I, got, I have to keep up. I owe it to these athletes to keep up and, you know, to, to learn how to adapt in this new way of coaching. Um, and, and I certainly did that this summer and, and I, I can tell you that if there's any other coaches who are thinking about it, when you get back on the court and you get that opportunity to work with an athlete again, you realize what you've been missing. And, uh, cause I had that this summer, I hadn't coached for a couple months. And for me, that, that was a long time. And then I got back out in that first session and I know even with the, whatever the restrictions we were working with, uh, it was just totally worth it. And it was just so, so good to be back. Awesome, man. Well, we're kind of into overtime here and I know you're a great family man and, and you got lots of stuff to do, but I was hoping you could uh, share one more funny story before we let you go. We're trying to make it a tradition on the show that even though you've played at the highest level of our sport, just some funny or unique stuff always seems to happen to volleyball players. So I was hoping you could give us one more before we call it. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about this and I came up, I mean... <laughs> I sort of had two. I had, I mean, Snake and I had this one flight. Um, we were over in Europe. I think we were going to, where were we flying? Flying into Finland, I think. And it was a small, small plane. And I remember, like, I mean, it's one thing to have turbulence, um, but we were coming in for the landing. And, like, it felt like the plane went totally sideways. Like, you're looking out and you're seeing the runway. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the airport and, and like, I thought we were going to die that day. It was, it was awful. And, and snake, snake tells me I, that I was white as a ghost. And, um, <laughs> and I think everybody was, was happy to have their lives at, at the end of that flight. And we landed and we made it and it was good. It worked out. Okay. Um, but then the other one that stood out, cause you kind of, you alluded to this, uh, talking about Norseka in that. Yeah. Some, sometimes you go down there and you don't know what to expect. <laughs> and, uh, we had gone down to St. Lucia. Um, and we, we were down there, it was a Friday and we were looking, so we were like, Hey, let's go down to the courts. And we get down there where like the address of the courts are. And there's, there's nothing, there is absolutely nothing there. And we're like, uh, we try to talk to somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. Like we'll, we'll get it done. And, like, and it's like, well, the tournament starts tomorrow morning. Oh yeah. We're bringing it all in. And I, they must've worked all night. So I think we, we tried to sneak on to like a sandals or something to try and get some, <laughs> some sort of practice in on like a sandals beach court. And then uh, the next morning we're we, they, sure enough. They did it though. I, I mean, I got to give them credit. They, they did it. You, we showed up in the morning and it was hard packed, which, which for snake and I, that, that was good. We, we liked the hard packed courts anyways. And uh, we get through the first set and snake finds something in the, in the sand. And I come over, he digs it up. And sure enough, it's, it's gotta be about like an eight, eight or nine inch blade uh that the handle's actually been broken off so we're like is this like just a murder weapon like what have we just found and uh the ref's like whoa <laughs> good thing you found that and he takes it aside and he's like okay guys switch sides ready for set two <laughs> like nobody was gonna rake the cord like they're like oh hey look you just found a nine inch like murder weapon uh just hop in for set two and we're like no no like anyways we ended up breaking the court um, just to make sure that there was nothing in it. But that, that, that must have been like the most obscene thing we'd ever found in a beach court. Like, I mean, we found some funny things, but that was, that was absurd. And then just the way that the refs 
reacted to it was was incredible um but yeah i think i think that that was probably my most amazed moment because we we played an entire set and just luckily not landed on on that on that blade <laughs> unbelievable some of this narcissistic stuff like i remember speaking to uh stephanie she plays for guatemala and i was like how come you guys never freak out at the narcissistic stuff and she goes oh you don't get it like there's another tour in the caribbean and it's like worse than this so like when we see the the americans and canadians freaking out because you know the net's not up the day before there's no practice courts or stuff she's just like you don't know what it's like at this other tour so like we've had it way worse and i'm just thinking to myself how much worse could it get for some of these events right <laughs> <laughs> oh it's scary well and i remember um where we we must have gone down a little bit early and it was it was during the olympic qualifying one of the olympic qualifying rounds like through the north Seca, and um and the guys so this is you got this is an incredibly important match and it's gotten dark and so what they did is they pulled up a couple of trucks and turned on the headlights so this is potentially a, a country's olympic birth and it was being played in front of truck lights um to, to play the last five points like it just it, there are some things that are totally totally unbelievable but uh but yeah that's what happens but yeah again hey you gotta, you gotta be ready for anything oh man well this has been awesome it took us way too long to catch up but i feel like that we're only getting the the surface of some stories here so we'll have to get you on very soon and and you and i need to connect more often anyway so if we have to do it on the podcast that's a good enough excuse but uh i i did promise you an hour and like i said you got three kids and a wife that are probably wondering what you're doing alone in the basement just talking about volleyball so uh we'll, we'll call it there but uh thanks for making the time and sharing all that you did well, hold on i'm not going yet i have to say one other thing um, I want to say thank you to you, Josh, for what you're doing. When I was playing in the States, one, one of the things that came up, uh, because we noticed that the States do a pretty good job promoting their sport. Um, and, and one of the things that one of the promoters said to me is that as volleyball players, one of the things that we need to do is we need to support our sport and we need to watch our sport. If we're not going to watch volleyball when it's on or when it's being talked about on a podcast, uh, then we can't expect others to do it. And if we want funding and we want the programs to grow, that's not going to happen until we get viewers and we get fans and spectators. So I want to say thank you to you, Josh, for making Passing Dimes happen. You, you got, you, you've got some incredible guests coming on. You do a great job keeping us updated with what's going on with volleyball in, in Canada and around the world. And it's it's been a real breath of fresh air, and I really appreciate what you're doing, and I think it means a lot. And and thanks to all your viewers as well, because or I guess listeners, <laughs> um, because this is what we need to grow this game. So thanks, Josh. Awesome, man. That's well said, and and thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and like I said, we'll have to catch up sooner. But uh, keep up the good work.